Good evening and welcome to Italian Impact Weekly. I'm your co-host Steve Stefano Mancini. And my name is Claudio Relsano and we appreciate all of you tuning in. We have a very special guest today. He is the owner of Perk and Brew in the uh, Friendship Bloomfield area. Uh, he is Nick Redundo. I met Nick a few weeks ago and he's a good man and uh, very excited to have him on. Nick, what's going on? Well, That's your cue, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I already messed up the original opening, which I never do, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm messing you well, up now. Once I thought I made a mistake, but I was wrong. But, That's right. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it very much. Thank All you so right. much. I appreciate that. By the way, uh, my joke is usually I think I was wrong one time. I think it was a Tuesday and it was raining, but I can't remember, but I get it. <laughs> there you go. Nick, you are a Carnegie Mellon University uh, graduate, but before that, tell us where you're from and then tell us about your CMU days. Well, I was originally um, uh, born in the Hill District, and we lived there till I was four and we moved over to the Bloomfield Friendship area four year, when I was four years of age. Um, I grew up, went to Mac Conception, uh, went to Central Catholic High School. and then Everybody went to Central Catholic. By the way, I went to Mac and Central. Did you really? Well, yeah, but I'm guessing I was a little behind you. <laughs> Gee, thanks. <laughs> that obvious, thanks. But um, it's, it's, you know, it's my hair. It's just yeah, looks, yeah, yeah, looks yeah. young. And you got your hair, thanks. Okay, throw, rub it in. <laughs> but uh, I uh, went to Carnegie Mellon, uh, grad, played football there at CMU, graduated in uh, 1977. And after that, after, the, after college, I went to the service, joined the Navy, and um, started off as, an, as a navigator, uh, aircraft navigator, but uh, I was always airsick, and that didn't work too well. <laughs> so the Navy was kind enough and said, well, you can either go to Supply Corps or Surface Warfare, which means ship driving. And so I decided, well, that's a little more Navy than pushing papers and requisitions, so I decided to be a ship driver. All right. So, the, by the way, the irony in that story is when I went to the Navy, I was supposed to be an anti-submarine warfare operator. Okay. And I said, I don't like flying. Yeah. Sort of makes it difficult <laughs> to go fly in P3s. So I appreciate that. A question that we usually start off with is where is your family from in Italy? Well, my father's side is from uh, Foggia, a little town called Bovino. And uh, my mother's side is from up in the mountains in central Italy, and it's called uh, Ettaleta in the Abruzzi region. Mm-hmm. So we're Brutsays and, and Fajani. So uh, I actually had a chance to go to, to uh, Adelaida, which was really a great experience. Found my mother's handwritten birth, my grandmother's, I'm sorry, handwritten birth record wow. from 1893 with a total different birth date. This funny part about her story was she uh, went away to be a nun over in Italy, and my great-grandfather found out that she was in the convent, and he shipped her here to Pittsburgh and had her marry my grandfather with an arranged marriage. <laughs> they, they had six, One of these. Yeah, yeah, Amashata. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So they, they had uh, six kids, and then unfortunately my grandfather died of pneumonia uh, in 1930, I think it was 1935, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And um, my mother was about 10, and um, they were just poor as church mice. And, and uh, it, w- it was funny, my mother, this is an Italian story, my mother, w- if you would fall and bump your head and get a lump on your head, she would take out a butter knife and she would put the cold butter knife That's on right. her head with the sign of the cross. Oh, okay, and, I didn't know and that like part she'd like do like, like a sign of the cross, and then like uh, that was supposed to cure you, and she'd say, Hail Mary, you know? Okay. And, and uh, one of my buddies one time fell and had a big bump on his head, so she goes to the drawer, pulls out a knife, and she starts chasing him. He's thinking she's trying to cut it off. <laughs> he was Irish, what can I tell you? <laughs> right. <laughs> No, that's funny. By the way, um, what part of Bloomfield did you grow up in? Um, 
right near a, a few blocks from West Penn Hospital, about three blocks. Well, I was on I was on Edmund Street. Okay, yeah, so. I was on South Pacific. Wow, you're I feel like an outsider. I wasn't in the Navy. I went to Quaker Valley, and I'm from Swickley. Well, I, don't, I didn't want to go there, Claudio, <laughs> but uh, you know. But we'll have hand signals the whole time. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Hey, who's touching my leg? Never mind. <laughs> don't tease me. <laughs> No, that's fantastic. Um, the, the irony, though, because, you know, a lot of people obviously from Bloomfield are from Adelaide. In fact, where I grew up, mm-hmm. the Adelaide Club was behind me. Right. So my yard faced the back of the bocce courts there. You know, your, your family is pretty, I want to say, I mean, your parents were born here in the States, right. but your grandparents immigrated over here. Right. But they were able to, I mean, like most of them back then, they were keeping that culture alive. It sounds like, and, you hear, and you'd hear a lot of that, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. We used to have all our holidays with my my uh my dad's side of the family like christmas eve and new year's eve and then my mother's side of the family was like christmas day and thanksgiving that was the big side the christmas eve was the big one for us everyone yeah. t- you know i mean I, I i i don't know if that's an italian thing i don't know but all i know is that the biggest gathering was always christmas eve ours was, everybody uh, came in ours was thanksgiving that was on my mother's side we would we would have tables everywhere in the basement you know, in the in the uh, all the living room, dining room, and kitchen, and that was kind of fun. I mean, we had the, like about eighty people. We had it was all said and done. You had all the cousins and the and the aunts and uncles, and it was a big hall. Multiple tables for multiple age yeah, groups. Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, the boys sat in one room, the girls sat in the other. Even after you were married, the girls sat in the other, and the boys sat in this room. It's the way it was. Now, what did you do before uh, your restaurant, Perk and Brew? When I got out of the Navy, I, I was you're right in about the middle of the recession in Pittsburgh, and I. Tried a few different jobs and it's, nothing was really working out. And just by a fluke, I happened to run into a buddy of mine when I was in the reserve center, and he said they were hiring instructors out at U.S. Air, flight instructors. And so he brought in my resume, and I went to the um, went to the to the re- interview, and I sat in the room, and all four of the uh, managers or supervisors that were there, they were all ex-military guys, and and it was just like we kind of knew each other. And so I had a really great interview. It went off great. They said, we'll call you in a couple weeks. They called me a couple weeks. I went back for lunch. I said, I'll call you in a couple more weeks. Called me that afternoon. They hired me. And I was instructor on the DC-9 for, for about maybe uh, five years. And then I went to the um, MD-80, which was actually my favorite airplane of all the aircraft. I loved that aircraft. And then I changed, went over to like a non-aircraft specific uh, training for a while. And then after that, I came back to the uh, 80, stayed on that for the remainder. And then for the last two years, taught the 737. You know, it's funny because you said something about that connection with the military people. I don't see it as much now, especially these younger military people, because I teach here at RMU. And so I see a lot of younger veterans now. And there is something back then, because I remember I, I went in in 89, and then I retired in 2010. So I was still with kind of like the Vietnam era guys were still mm-hmm. in when I was in, you know, kind of at the tail end of their careers. Yeah. And I, there, there is definitely something different about the generation of military and how – when you got out, you you almost like you said you just like I know everything about you and I've never even met you before in my life. Once you oh you were in there, you know and everything just an instant connect. I don't know if it's that way now, but it doesn't I don't get that sense with I mean some do some don't. I mean it just depends how what I'll quote how military they were because you know back then it was a lot, I think it was a lot more rigorous back then than it is now. Well, I, I think you know back in the day after Vietnam, I mean the military was so despised after the Vietnam, and so I think the guys in the military actually stuck together right. as a result of that and and. Um, it was just, I don't know, there was just something about it when you were military. You just, even like, you know, when I, I'm not a good driver and I know it and I drive too fast. And even when I get pulled over by the police, they look at my license with the military ID 
and they usually let me go because I always admit what I did, and they're actually pretty good guys about it. You know, I, I know it. I don't know where you're getting pulled over at, but I'll I take should, your word for it. Yeah, no, I <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Now tell us how Perks and Brews started. Well, I, after I uh, left the airline, I went, uh, went to work in, uh, actually in the political arena for a while, and I really wasn't, really didn't like that. It wasn't me. And so um, I uh, was kind of, I, I've had this concept of, an, of a coffee shop and, and, um, and uh, a, uh, like a beer or a cafe kind of place. I've had this concept for, for a lot of time. I, I thought about this off the coast of Lebanon back in 1983. I was f- floating around off the coast of Lebanon. Well, anyway, I went to, um, I, I went the, after my parents passed away, my sister and I inherited a building that was right across the street from us. And I'm sure you know where it is. It was a 7-Eleven probably when you were uh, younger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, and uh, so it was a 7-Eleven for like 20 tiers. Then they subleased to someone, and that really wasn't working out for, for us or the neighborhood. So we didn't renew the lease, and that's a long story, which I won't get into. But I talked to my sister, and we kind of talked about it, and I went to the neighborhood groups, and I said, well, what do you guys want here? And they said, well, we'd like to have maybe a coffee shop. And so I kind of kicked it around with my sister, and we figured what we could do. So, yeah, we went we took the building and gutted the whole building and started from scratch. And, and uh, I had to get the community on my side first. And so I went around all the neighborhood groups, and I asked, you know, what do you, you, know, so what do you guys want? What are you looking for? So we, we put this together, come up with a concept, put it together. And it had a little bit of a pushback from a few people. But I understand why they were pushing back. It was because of what was there before. And so as a result... Uh, once they've seen what we've done, you know, they, they, uh, they, they, they like it. They, and we, they come a lot uh, to the shop. We, uh, we were doing, before COVID, we were doing, um, Tuesday night was a whole lecture series. We had history, politics, economics, you know, all different healthcare, all different type of topics. On Wednesday, we were doing indoor bocce in the winter. On Thursday, we had um, uh, Italian cooking demonstrations, and we were going to start with uh, Jessica Lee. I don't know if you know her. She's sure. Local jazz artists. We were going to start an entrepreneurial Thursdays. Uh, Fridays, we were going to uh, we were doing uh, trivia, and then Saturday was jazz, and then Sunday was brunch. But you know, now it's been since COVID, it's just been so hard finding employees. It's been really one of those difficult things to find, is especially cooks. I just want to know what they're doing. Yeah. What are they I, doing? Why, why are you just why sitting at home? That? You would think that it would be more. You'd want to work more because well, people. Well, the problem is, I think you're obviously getting paid more to sit at home and work. It's just not worth it. I, I don't know. I, 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 I my son. I want that job. Yeah, really. You know, my boys are all workers. Everybody works. My whole family works. We all worked. You know, and I don't understand. I couldn't people not work. It. I don't either. I don't know. I'm 70 this year, and I don't know. I don't want to stop working. I, I don't want to stop. And do what? I brought. You know, it's the, you know, it's funny yeah. because you know everybody tells me I want to retire. I want to retire. I want to sit on the beach. Let me tell you something. You go on a vacation after a week, and you're ready to go. Let's be honest. Yeah. You get bored. Yeah. And you know, there's an old adage. You know, hell is getting anything you want anytime you want it. Yeah. And so if you're just sitting on a beach doing nothing, I promise you, I'll promise you, you'll get bored. You'll go crazy. There was somebody we knew that my that he did nothing. I mean, zero. My mom used to call him a piece of meat with eyes. That's it. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> get it. I don't get it. What a know. waste of life. Yeah. yeah. Did she say it in Italian? Yes, she did. No more to the counter cool witch. There you go. Calabrese. But, uh, okay, what you mentioned some of the, uh, first of all, how long have you had the business? When did you start it? We, we started, we opened September 17th of 2017. Okay. And um, we've been opening, uh, you know, it was, it was, we were building it and building it and building it. What's interesting about a small business is there are so many hands in your pocket. It, it's like you have five taxing <laughs> bodies. You have the city, 
the state. And they can't figure out why people county, don't want to do it. The right. federal government. I mean, and then they all have rules that you got to abide by, which I understand this for some of them. But then again, you know, in a state that we have, since we have a beer license, there's also other rules. And there's other fees you got to pay, and then you got to pay the business sales tax license. And in a, in a, you get a, you buy a beer, to, uh, a, a liquor license, and you got you have to like keep renewing it every three years and pay for that. It, it's just it just doesn't end. I mean, the hands in your pocket are it's legal corruption. It, That's well, all it is. It's I, corrupt because you know why? Because you tell me where the money goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it isn't going know. into our roads. It isn't no, going into our infrastructure. Working, right? Exactly. <laughs> you tell me where the money goes, maybe I'll support them. But that's the problem. Nobody can tell you where the money goes. Are that's you looking problem. to build that that series of lectures? And yeah, we'd like fun. to get that back on again. But it's, again, it's just trying to find people that can work evenings, and it's just uh, we didn't really have many problems before, but now it's just very, very difficult. You know, and what I'm getting mainly are a lot of older people. You know, and if I get younger people, well, I can't work this week and I can't work that day. But only stay on. You know, what do you mean I gotta work? You know, second, I just want a job. Second Tuesday of next week. You know, it's it's it's. I mean, but I the, I the workers I have the younger ones. They're the ones that I have are really good. I mean, they're they're hard workers. They're good kids, and okay. and my manager is wonderful. I mean, I couldn't do it without her. And I have a, a a cook that, a couple of cooks, and they work really. It's a hard it's a hard business. I never had, I had no experience in this, but I figured, if I can train an airline pilot, I can probably oh, do yeah. this. You know, if I can drive a ship. And you got the location, 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 which is usually the hardest part about a business. Yeah. In some ways, it's a blessing. In some ways, it's a curse because people can't find parking. And so people look at that and say, so. But it's on street parking. Some things never change. It's on street parking, you know. (laughs) But, you know, some people still find themselves there. And, you know, we we do the best we can. We try to do like a lot of community type things. And, you know, for for the community, we did it. We did um, a fundraiser. There was some people that lost their house back in 2018. And, and so I called up some people that I knew. One was Craig Patrick, and he came over and he let people take pictures, you know, with him with the gold medals and the, from the '80 Olympics and, sure. the, and the Stanley Cup rings. And was he still in Pittsburgh? I, I don't. He's know. not I haven't talked to him. No, I, but I know if he's settled yeah. in Pittsburgh, though. I, I don't know. I haven't talked to Craig in a while, but mm-hmm. but you know, he came over and took pictures with folks, and it was it was all a fundraiser, and we we raised like four thousand dollars in a couple hours, you know, and, wow. uh, to give to help people with their legal fees. So that's the stuff we try to do. We try to do. We have Santa Claus comes a week before Christmas, a Saturday before Christmas, and some of the bigger kids are funny. They go, you're not the real Santa. I saw him at the mall. <laughs> you know what, though, Steve and, and, and Nick, it sounds like a different business. It sounds more like a, like the old-time family yeah. thing. You know, nowadays it's strictly business. It's from the neck up, not from the heart right. up. And it sounds like yours yeah. is definitely from the heart up. Well, those community businesses, those community, I mean, community they're all they're all yeah. they're all shut down by larger, yeah. you know, corporations. Uh, I mean, but you, you know, I don't want to have that. I I I 1000%. Yeah. I that's why people say well, I don't like Starbucks. I was a, well, besides the fact that coffee is disgusting. I think co- Starbucks coffee is disgusting. It's overpriced and it's an impersonal just go in there, get your crap, get out. Okay, you can sit over there and play with your laptop. But there's no there's it's very no transactional. yeah it's no di- there's no dial there's no personality there you know and, and I, I that is the lost art of humanity is personal interaction people don't know how to do it and they don't understand the importance we're not meant to be online to be in cubes to work remote it's not how humans are programmed well the interesting thing is you know like uh, Kevin came in one day with hey, and uh, and, and uh, he was he and Bill Kai, Kai was running for judge and and they came in one day and. That's how we met, you know. I've been friends ever since, you know. And, and uh, my manager, God bless her, she works so hard for me. And she, she, um, what's good about her is everybody loves her when they come in. She recognizes she's not coming up the steps. She knows just what drink they want. Yeah. You know, she'll she'll you'll make their drink before they even get up to the top of the steps. She'll have it started. 
you know, and that's stuff that you just don't get, like in a Starbucks. And, and we're the same faces all the time as opposed mm-hmm. to different faces every time you go in. And so yeah. that's, that's a blessing. And, I, you know, I said I, I would be happy to pay my employees double what I pay them in benefits, but I just don't have it to pay. But if I did, I would. They're, they're good people, and I really, I, I just can't, I can't say enough good about them. The other thing I was going to ask you, though, is when you were training, you were SWO, you were a surface warfare operator. What yeah. were you training in the, air, the airline? Well, place? I started off as a navigator. And I was always oh, there. so you maintain your. Oh. I was three weeks shy of my wings. Oh, okay. And, and I just wasn't cutting it, but I was just always airsick. And so they said, "Well, you can either go there or you can go to to, to surface right. war, supplier surface warfare." Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering because you said you were training though in aircraft. I was wondering what you were you were training in navigation. Yeah. I was. I no. What I trained at US Air, I trained them. I was a ground school instructor, and what I trained oh. was like when you you know when you walk in a cockpit and see all the buttons and switches. I trained him on all those buttons and switches, oh, okay. all the procedures, the, the emergency procedures, you know, fires, you know, uh, smoke in the cockpit, the electrical problems, all that type of stuff. As somebody that hates flying, um, I just want you to know that uh, there's one thing I do believe is that nobody is better trained than airline pilots. No, I mean, they train and train and train. And I mean, it, that's why I didn't, I don't know if you recall this, but I think about a year or so ago, they were trying to reduce the number of hours that they were requiring to move them up to heavies. And it was yeah. like, oh, you know, bad and idea. They are in some instances, but I, I, I don't think it's a good idea. My, my youngest son has actually had has the, uh, the aviation bug. He's, he's actually out flying right now. Um, he, he has a great job and, uh, with, with the Duquesne light, but every moment he, he gets a chance to fly after work, he goes out and he flies. Just puts around flight. the Cessna. Yeah, he's trying to build hours. He wants to be an airline pilot. Yeah. You know, he's just trying to build his hours. But see, and that's and that's the thing about this career. You 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 have to spend time on the stick. Oh, or you're not going to move up. You can't advance. You can't go to single engine, double engine. Back with the uh, no, that, but, but it's funny because it's like some career fields. You know, it's like you don't have to have done it, but aviation and and medical these are things you have to do. That's why I have confidence in my pilots, mm-hmm. especially when I'm on a heavy international. I almost never think. There's gonna be something wrong with the pilots. My my fear of flying is just more mechanical. Or yeah, because you know I was in aviation. I was an aircraft electrician. Okay. When I didn't want to be an AW, so I said, yeah, why would I want to hunt subs? I don't even like to fly. So I, they sent me to aviation electrician school. Okay. And so having been the guy that does maintenance, I'm like, yeah, I don't trust the maintenance. <laughs> now I did a good job. I mean, I was actually what they called a mechtrician, so I would actually test the engines. Okay. So I worked in a test cell. So I'd fire them up, low them, blow them up, try and you know try and break them. If they didn't break, you stamp them, and they went out. But you knew they were, but you knew you could trust the engines when they what, went what's out. What's the old saying? I wouldn't belong to a club that would have me as a member. <laughs> Your bracho right. marks. Right. Right. Exactly. Now, what advice? You obviously have a business, a successful business. What advice would you give a startup? Boy, that's that's a tough question. Um, you you got to do your homework, and and there's always going to be no matter what you do, there's always going to be another snake that bites you, you know, while, while you're while you're in the. Effort. I mean, now, the the one thing is if you if you do it by the rules, if you if you uh, follow the rules, like for the health department, you follow the rules for for the uh, for the zoning and 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 the type of things that like the city building inspectors want, they'll leave you alone. You know, as long as you, as long as you're doing it right, they leave you alone. If you try to cut corners, and they find out you're somebody trying to cut corners, they'll eat your lunch. I mean, it's just not one of those things you want to do. So I, I heard horror stories about inspectors. You know, I did everything they told me to do. I did it the right way, and sometimes even more than what they wanted you to do. And I never had a problem. We didn't have any problems. We still, and again, part part of it too is if you're going to be in a community like me, you have to get the community on your side. You have to, you have to get there. You have to make agreements. When I went in for the variance hearing. I had a, a signed agreement between the community groups and, and us 
is saying these are hours of operation, this is what we plan to do, and, to, and so this way, it's just, it just always pretty smooth sailing. We had very, very little resistance. And like I said, the resistance we had, you know, they, they come in now because they know that we are trying to be a good part of the community. Not what just was the that. pushback? Um, see, what was there before, when, when, uh, after 7-Eleven left, they, because I had a beer license, uh, the last guy that was in there, he, he was selling really cheap beers, and, and he was attracting a really bad element. And no matter how many times I tried to get him to stop, uh, to clean it up, he cleaned up for a week, two weeks, and then he's right back to it again. And he was making a lot of money selling cheap beers. And the, and the element that was there was just bad. And people were afraid, people were afraid to walk you know, by the building because you know, women would get harassed. And, and I couldn't have that. It's my neighborhood. It's where I live. I grew up across the street from there. I live one block up the street from there. You know, and I couldn't have it. And I wouldn't have it in my shop. And so I don't have drunks. You know, if I come, somebody comes in and is drunk, I don't serve them. If, if they, I give them two beers and watch. After two beers, if, if they start acting weird, you're done. You know, I'm not giving you anything else. That's it. I'm not going to become a millionaire on those beers. It's not going to happen. So rather than somebody goes out and kills somebody or gets in a car accident, you know, my conscience. It ain't worth the it's risk. Not, it's not worth it. It's right. not worth it at all. Mm -mm. No, that's a shame because you know what? There are people that will anything for a dime. No, I mean, it's not worth it. And you know, in the long term, I don't, I don't think that works for a business. It might get you some short-term profit, yeah. but I think eventually your reputation comes out and then everybody, I don't want to go there anymore. Yeah. You see it all the time in businesses. All right, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Nick Redondo. But uh, remember, you can hear all our shows on www.italianimpactweekly.com. If you miss us on 620 AM on Thursdays at 5 PM to 6 PM, or you can hear us on crsmmedia.com. We've had such great guests as Mario Andretti, Vince Ferragamo, Vince Papali, Chris Corciani, and many successful businessmen and women in the Italian community. If you are looking to promote your business, please connect with Steve and I at questions at italianimpactweekly.com. Not only can we air your commercials, but we can produce one for you as well. We promise to get you as much publicity as we possibly can at a great price. Don't forget about my show, The Claudio Relsano Show. You can listen to that on claudiorelsano.com. I almost did the commercial, Steve. Uh, we've had such great guests as Rocky Blyer, Jim Rooker, Sid Bream, Dick Vermeil, Ken Griffey Sr., Robin Cole, Mario Andretti, Vinny Pazienza. We're going to have a new format, which, uh, Steve, if it's okay, I'll kind of talk about that. Uh, our show, Talking Business and Life, we're going to kind of switch that content over to the Claudio Rosano Show. I'm still going to interview many successful uh, athletes and talk about their careers, how they got from point A to point B, both in their careers and in business. We're also going to talk more business life and uh, kind of what we did on Talking Business and Life with Claudio and Steve. So make sure you tune in. And finally, my book, Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Winning Culture on the Field and in the Office. You can get that at ClaudioRelsano.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com. And there's a few left at the Robinson Township, Barnes and & Noble, and JohnMelvinPublishing.com. We will be right back with Nick Redundo. Thanks to Greater Pittsburgh Travel. For any of your travel needs, let Tom and the team at Greater Pittsburgh Travel know, and they'll take care of you. For more information, call 412-331-2244 or visit their website at www.greaterpittsburghtravel.com. For all of your plumbing needs, be sure to try Pellucci Plumbing. Nick and the team have decades of experience and will get you back up and running. For more information, call Pellucci Plumbing at 412-782-5050. And we want to thank the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. If you're interested in learning more, you can find their contact information on Facebook at Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. Again, thanks Domenica and the team at the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh for your support. And we want to thank La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei, the only nonprofit school in Pittsburgh endorsed by the Italian consulate. If you're interested in learning Italian 
or have your children being immersed in the Italian culture and language, be sure to give them a call at 412-404-7070. That's La Scuola d'Italia, Galileo Galilei. We'd also like to thank Chris Gonzalez from the Knights of Columbus. If you have any questions about joining the Knights of Columbus, reach out to Chris Gonzalez at 412-605-9074. All right, welcome back, folks. Again, appreciate you taking time out, Nick. As always, we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule oh, to join you. us. And another Bloomfield guy, I appreciate that. He even went to Mac. Mac's been sitting there empty. The churches have been Sad. empty. It's there's not a church in Bloomfield nor a funeral home. I you, all gone. I I saw. I, I I can't believe nobody's dying and nobody's going to church. I don't get it. Or pizza places. or pizza places. Yeah, they're all burned down. Yeah, <laughs> it's sad. It's not. That's not the Bloomfield that used to be. The one. No. The one thing that. Well, it's really, certainly not Little Italy. Well, no. The thing that really gripes me more than anything is city government. It, it's there's graffiti everywhere. It looks like a ghetto. And what are we doing about it? I, I can't stand it. Right. You know, there's drugs pouring in. You know, fentanyl. People are dying every day. We have we have um, uh, homelessness. You see it growing every day. You know. So what do we do in the city that really is important? We ban plastic bags. And put yes. bike lanes. Yeah, and put bike lanes. And and then we we also ban fogra. You know, you know, so it's like, wow, that's a tough issue to tackle, you know. Nick, um, a very tough subject uh, that you wanted to discuss, and that is about your son. So it's, yeah. the floor is yours. Well, um, I had a, a son, uh, Nicholas. He was Nicholas IV, and he was, uh, he was a great kid. He was a beautiful kid. He was, he, was, he was a happy little boy. He grew up happy, you know, loved, always loved and wanted. And we had four sons all together, my wife and I, and, and – uh, Nick was just a phenomenal athlete. He was ex- exceedingly handsome. He actually modeled for Abercrombie and Fitch. He did Rue 21, and it was kind of funny. You'd walk into a mall, and you'd see your son's picture up on the, on, in, the, in the big window there at the mall. And you know, hey, that's my kid. My uncle calls me up from, from Virginia, and he says, hey, I saw your son on the, on the, in the mall, in this picture in the mall. You know, and, and it was, he was a tremendous athlete. And, but, you know, what happened was he, in high school, he started, you know, like, Trying marijuana, you know, and, and that's that's for some people that starts the whole process. Because I don't think anybody ever really starts with like heroin. He started with marijuana, and and from that, you know, he he just was one of those people who genetically liked it. It's like alcohol. Like some people can drink. Like me, I could have a drink. I could care less. I have another drink. But some people have a drink, and you gotta have another one. You gotta have another one until you're an alcoholic, you know. And but you don't know if you're gonna be that guy. And you don't know that your genes are predisposed to that until you start. So the, the, the key is don't start, yeah. you know. So what happened was Nick, Nick went down to Miami to do some modeling. He tried college, didn't like it. So he had an interview with this group in Miami to do some modeling, and, and um, uh, they, they took him on as a, as a model, and he was working down there and as a bartender and a model. And, and um, somewhere, somewhere down the line, somebody got him to try heroin. And uh, after that, you know, he couldn't keep a job down there. And so I, I drove down to, to, my, to South Beach to pick him up, you know, bring him back home. And I knew he was kind of acting different, but I didn't, wasn't, didn't know what it was. And so anyway, I brought him back home, and, and um, he went to work at a couple places, and he just, he just couldn't hold a job. He was fighting with everybody else. And it wasn't like Nick. His whole personality changed. And, you know, I mean, I, I knew that he had a, it was developing an issue with drugs, but I didn't know how bad. And his whole personality change and he wasn't the, the kid that I raised you know and 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 in those moments of clarity 
that he had, you know, he, he hated himself for what he'd become. He knew it. And, and uh, so uh, he was, it was the day after Thanksgiving in um, 2017. It was the 20, 26th was Thanksgiving. The 27th, we, I talked to him on the phone, talked to him twice that day. And, and uh, at, on 5.30 was the last time we talked. And then um, on uh, that Saturday, the 28th, I, I called him and there was no answer. And that wasn't like Nick. If I ever called Nick or texted him, he always responded, you know. And, and um, he, he uh, I, on the 29th, I, I called him. There's no response. I went to this place where he was staying. And it was supposed to be a, a, a quote, three-quarter house or sobriety house. But it's a joke, actually, most of these. They're not, not really relegated by the state. And, and so what happens is there's no real supervision in a lot of these places. Some are well-run, but a lot of them aren't. And it's just some guy who buys a cheap house in a cheap neighborhood, you know, puts two or three guys in a room at 100 and a quarter a week or 150 a week. You know, yet in two months he has the house paid off, you know, and it's all profit. And so I, I'm walking up the steps of this, of this building, and I got about halfway up, and this just, this just hit me. And, and I'm saying, please, God, please tell me I'm wrong. Please tell me he's not dead, please. And I, uh, the manager has come up there with his son. The son goes upstairs first, and he, and he says to him, he says to his dad, he goes, Daddy's all blue. He went in the next room, and he said, he's all blue. And I knew, I knew he was dead, you know. And the manager said, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, well, that didn't do me much good. You should have been supervising, but they weren't. But again, my son bears responsibility too. He's not; he wasn't wasn't uh, innocent in all this either. But but um, you know, the worst thing is I had to call his mother, and I had to call his brothers. The one brother was in uh, Fort Sill, I believe it is. Uh, he was in artillery school in the Marines, and his one brother was in um, York, PA, working, and the youngest brother was here in Pittsburgh. And um, it was just a horrible, horrible day. You know, I never dreamt that I would ever have to bury my son. I mean, it was. I fought for years trying to keep him. He would be go to rehab. He'd be clean. He'd come out. Your hopes are up. You're just so excited, like, oh, he's going to be okay now, and reverse right back. And and that's the hardest thing to deal with, because your hopes you get so ha high and happy. You're just so happy because you think, okay, he's going to be okay, and then they start all over again. And and right now with what's out on the streets, people don't realize how bad it is out there. I mean, it's first off, you're hard pressed to find heroin nowadays. You're hard-pressed to find heroin. You're going to find fentanyl. You're going to find it. It's, it's fentanyl. And then, the, and then what, I mean, to add, to add insult to injury, like, you know the fentanyl, it's coming, the raw materials come from China, okay? Nothing gets done without, without Xi Jinping's uh, uh, approval. So they're sending it here to the port of Nogales in Mexico. The Mexican cartels, they, they get it, they produce it, okay? And they ship it up here. Well, why is our border wide open? Why are we doing this? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. I look at our political leadership and I'm just disgusted and repulsed by these people. There's either one of three reasons why the people who can stop this aren't stopping it. They're either corrupt and they're part of it, they're, they're compromised, or they're intimidated. That's the only three reasons I could think of, you know, why these guys won't do this. And, and I, I, I try to talk to high school kids as much as I can because I don't do it, I don't take any money, I cover my own expenses, I don't want any money, I don't want anything. I just want to save someone's life. I don't want to see a family go through what my family, what my wife and I, what my sons have all had to endure and deal with the, the death of my son. 
the, the pain is indescribable. You know, I, I, I wake up in the morning with a broken heart. I live each day with a broken heart, and I go to bed with a broken heart. You know, and, and I look at this with, I mean, to add insult to injury with these drugs, not only are they putting fentanyl in everything, now they're adding this thing called xylazine or trank is the street name. And it's a horse tranquilizer, not fit for human consumption. And what this stuff does, it just kind of prolongs the high because what happens with addicts, especially heroin addicts, your first high, I remember my son telling me, he says, Dad, the first time I tried it, it was the most magnificent thing in my life. He said, the second time it was so good. He goes, the third time it was good. He said, the fourth time it was okay. The fifth time it was okay, you know, pretty okay. He says, then after that, I just know I needed to have it. You know, and it's just like, this stuff is just evil. It's just, if you don't believe in evil, watch, watch what heroin does to a human being. I mean, it just gets its claws in you and it just slowly, slowly closes those claws until it owns you. You know, and my son used, it was interesting, we would go out at night in the summertime and we'd sit there by the river in Sharpsburg and we'd talk and he said, Dad, he goes, this stuff's a demon and it haunts me all the time. And the fact that he used the word demon tells you what it is. It's evil, you know. And now with this trank, it's a vasoconstrictor. So what it does, it, it like stops the flow of blood to your, to your, to your extremities. And, and what happens what people do is they, they, they people, it, you're so susceptible to, to infection and basically you start to necrotize, your skin will necrotize, and you will get these horrid, ugly, black, pus-filled sores all over you to the point where they have to amputate your arms or arm or leg or whatever it is. It's, it's, it's hideous, it's hideous. And, and this started in Philadelphia where the Trank Star was in Philadelphia. And, and it's like, I don't understand why we're not stopping this. You can't tell me as Americans, if we can take on two world wars and land men on the moon, that we can't stop this, I don't buy it for a minute. I don't buy it for a minute, and I, I just I get so angry. And I, if if you look at fentanyl, if you take a penny, and you cover the date on a penny, okay, with fentanyl, that's how much it can kill you. There's 454,000 milligrams in a pound, okay. So two milligrams can kill a man. So so one pound of fentanyl can kill over 270,000 people. One pound. You know what we're seizing at the border on average per month? 2,100 pounds, that's enough to kill 430 million people. The math isn't hard. Okay, 430, and that's not what gets through. That's, not what, that's what you see, it's not what gets through. Okay, we're losing on average, on average, in Pennsylvania, we lose one person every two hours in the state of Pennsylvania. Most, most of it is the fentanyl, okay? We lose, we lose, on average, in the United States, anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 people a week. That would be the equivalent of a 757 fully loaded out crashing every day. Now, do you think if that happened, there wouldn't be a problem? Do you think if that happened, that wouldn't like alert the public? You know, these aren't just drug addicts. These are people. These are sons, their daughters, their husbands, their wives, their fathers, their brothers. That's what these are, you know. It, so they're human beings who've at one point in time made a bad mistake. And that's what my topic is about, kids, about choices. You know, we all have the chance, we all make choices. From when you get up in the morning to when you go to bed at night, you're making choices all day. Don't make the bad ones. Don't make wrong ones because the consequences of these choices is so bad, it's unreal. I mean, I have a picture in my presentation of Beaver Stadium. It's filled to capacity. That's 100,000 people, okay? We're losing that every year. Now, World War II, we lost 407,000 Americans in World War II. In the last three years, we lost 300,000 Americans. And nobody fired a shot. The whole future of our country is being killed. And, and, it's not, and that's just not, that's what just died. That's not the people that have drug issues. I mean, there's, that number's even much, much bigger. 
why in the God's name are we not stopping this in this country? I know it's not a real simple thing. I know it's not simple, but you got to start somewhere, you know. And and I, people's our, our political political leaders, we have to hold their feet to the fire because we're not, you know. I I've I, when when my son died, I wrote a sent a letter to Governor Wolf. I sent one to Lieutenant Governor, my state reps, the city council, the mayor, everything. The, I sent nine letters. The only person I heard back from was Senator Jay Costa. He's the only one. You know, everybody else, nothing. Not even, not even a phone call, not a letter. I'm just a thank you for your, even, not even a form letter, nothing. You know, and it's just like, we're not working this, because they don't take it serious. Just, just yesterday, the other day, somebody, I don't, even, I don't think it was you, I think somebody sent me a text uh, and it was a story about the former head of Google, 19-year-old son at UC Berkeley died from fentanyl. See, fentanyl's being put in everything. They're putting it in marijuana, you know? And the thing about fentanyl, if you don't die, I mean, you're addicted, like, immediately. It's immediate addiction. You're done, you know? And, it, and the thing is, it's 50 times more potent than heroin, fentanyl. It's 50 times more potent, 100 times more potent than morphine. So this stuff is really powerful. And the problem with addicts is they're always what they call chasing the dragon, they're trying to get that, that first high again that they'll never have. And so when you come to fentanyl, you're going to get that first high again. But again, it owns you at that point. You're done. And that's the problem. It takes an act of God and a will of iron to stop this stuff from the individual. And the only person that can stop them is, is the addict themselves. You know, they have to want to stop it. And, and the one thing I caution people on, if you have anybody in your family that's an addict, is all the experts who have never even seen a drug addict in their life. You know, they know how to tell you what you're doing. You're enabling. I love that one, you know. And they would tell these, you know, um, they, would tell, they would tell me, put them in the street, make them hit bottom, put them in the street, make, you know. I've known people who put their kid in the street to make them hit bottom. Two hours later, they're dead, you know. And, and I think to myself, that was bad advice by somebody who didn't know what the hell they're talking about, you know. And I, I did everything I could to keep my kid alive. And there were times that I enabled. I know it. But I did what I had to do at that time to think, that, how can I keep my kid alive? That's all I did. I mean, I went through housing projects at 3 o'clock in the morning looking for my, my son. I went all over God's green earth. I would do anything for my kid, and he knew it. My son knew it, and he knew, but he hated himself for what he'd become. And that's the problem with this stuff. You, this, you have this self-loathing that, that you develop because you know that you're hurting the people that love you, but you can't stop. You know, and this is the stuff that drives me crazy. So all I want to do is get in front of as many kids as I can, high school kids, middle school kids, and tell these guys, tell them my son's story. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be officer friendly and tell them all the statistics about about drugs. You know, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's getting so bad that they're they're making what they call rainbow fentanyl. Have you heard of that? It's it's pills that look like they're different colored pills. They look like candy For kids. to get little kids. Kids. For yeah. kids? For kids, yes. That's how evil this is. That's, we're, we're, we're losing the whole future of our country. You know, these people aren't going to, you know, my son will never pay taxes again. He'll never have a job. He'll never raise a family. That's done now. All those hopes and dreams are gone. You know, and it just drives me crazy that, that some people can be so evil that, like, they will make, but I mean, I, I believe in heaven and hell, and I believe in God, and, and I, I just hope that these people, for what they've done and the heartache they've caused and for what they've done to destroy people, I hope they pay a price for eternity. That's, that's just my, that, that's what I feel. The irony is um, I don't have any addicts in my family because they're all dead. Yeah. I lost, I've been to a lot of funerals. Yeah. So this is very personal. Before I went, 
I came here to Army and started teaching last year full-time, but before that I was with the government. Before that I worked for a nonprofit that actually worked with law enforcement. We worked a lot mm -hmm. of this stuff. And um, there was an old retired FBI, and he said, you got to make it personal. If you want to target it, you got to make it personal. Yes. And that, that, he was referring to other crimes, but that stuck with me. And I remember I would go out to, you know, speaking at different conferences, and I would say, you know, especially I would work with, like, training DEA guys and stuff, and I would say, you got to make it personal. It's so easy to look at a junkie and say, oh, a piece of crap, a piece of garbage. Hey, one time that was someone's little baby yep. sitting in a crib yep. staring up at mom and daddy, mm -hmm. you know. Um, not everybody I get it that goes into that life had a great, you know, family, um, but a lot of them didn't. You know, a lot of them, excuse me, a lot of them did. They had normal lives for the most part. But to your point, the problem with society now is, hey, you know what? Smoking is bad, but not marijuana. Yeah. Explain yeah. that. Or yeah. you know what? You you can't uh, have a beer at 18, but you know what? If you're eight years old, you can uh, change your gender. You know, this is I mean, we are so, th this is right out of the book. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. This is right out of the book. Yeah. This is what society does. When, when societies are morally collapsing, this is what they do. And by the way, one last no. thought, because you said it. You know it's coming from China. So everybody listening, when you pick up that piece of crap that you bought that says made in China, look in the mirror. You're part of the problem. Because if you do not, if you vote, re-vote for your same congressman, politician to come back in office, you're part of the problem. Agreed. And if Agreed. you're buying something from a country that is literally flooding us with toxic to kill us, they're not doing it for any other reason but to kill us because yep. they want to kill us so that we cannot compete with them militarily. The one thing you got to understand about the Chinese, I'm a retired military officer. I was enlisted for a while, got out, finished my degree, went back as an officer, done a lot of studying on strategy. And let me tell you something. The Chinese are in it for the long term. People talk about that. We think long term is five years. They think long term is 100, 200, 300 years. Yep. Why do you think they're, they're they're literally potentially poisoning with cyanide in the South China Sea to kill the fish. Because they know they do that. They chase out the local fishermen. They can claim the waters because nobody's there. They think strategically. We don't think that. We think, oh, you know, that piece of crap just died. Oh, well, you know, so-and-so's kid. You hear about so-and-so's kid? You know, so-and-so's kid times a million. See, the problem with we, what we have to do, if you want to stop this, is we, we, we have to, to really not even fight the Chinese militarily. What you have to do is you have to hit them economically. Right. Because they're on a verge of But you've of got a bunch anyway. of bought-out politicians who exactly. are never going to do that. Exactly. You think this president exactly. is going to do something about he's the Chinese? He's not going to do squat. He don't not. even know if he's wearing pants. Yeah, he's, I'm sorry, he doesn't. And, and it, what, what makes me angry is, is, is like, you know, we, we could stop it. You, you, you basically, any stocks they have on our stock market, delist them. Get them off. Okay. Any other people here? Why do you think their families? Oh, they're here? pouring they, across the border but now. I'm talking about families of the members of the Chinese Communist Party. They come here and invest because they're safer here than they yeah. are over there. So you take you take their visas, send them back, take their assets, and keep their assets. Okay. That's how you do it. You hit them economically, but we don't have the courage to do it. And now you got tens of thousands of Chinese nationals. The last two years, have poured across our yeah. our quote not over open 30, borders. 000. Yeah, but but it's not open. Steve said something. To that, um, I know some people have told their kids, you can smoke one, you know, marijuana here. My mom, one time when a relative of mine smoked cigarettes, was going to kill me. <laughs> okay. And I said, Mom, I didn't do anything. She said, I know, but just in case you thought about you it. You do. Okay. Because right. yeah. my mom, to my mom, everything was a gateway. Yeah. What I'm saying, what my point is, you're, you're talking to students in schools, and that's terrific. But Again, the Italians have a saying, well, Bishop puts that up, it stinks from the uh, head down. Do you think it'd be a, a good idea to also 
speak to the families, the, the, oh, the, yes. the, the parents, because again, there's, it seems like there's no discipline. Kevin and I were talking prior to the show, you know, about best friends. Now I'll say this, not to go against what Kevin said. My parents and I were best of friends without question. Me and my daughter, best of friends. But if I got out of the lane a little bit, I'm telling you, it was over for me. Oh yeah, and and, yep. and I never wanted to disappoint my parents. But I think the parents. Who am I to talk about my parent? Uh, talk about how people should parent? Well, I had unbelievable parents, and I think I'm a pretty damn good parent. But do you think it's a good idea to talk to the parents and say, "Hey, it starts with A, B, C, and it's a gradual thing. Don't let them get to A." Yeah. Be tough on these damn kids. Don't yep. just oh, it's okay. You can have two drinks, but not yeah. more than three. You know all that kind of garbage. On the uh, on the twenty eighth of this month, I'm doing a talk at Trinity High School to um, to the I think I think it's going to be the football and basketball teams and their parents. I wanted the parents. I wanted to talk to the parents. I want people to ask me questions from my experience. I want them to do that because that's the only way you got you got to bring awareness, especially at this age in high school. Because face it, you don't put. 60-year-old guys in fighter jets or put them in the infantry and say, take the hill. We don't do that. You, you, you say, okay, if it were, at this stage, if you tell me, take the hill, I'd say, do an aerial bombardment first, then one from the sea, and then you send up a bunch of tanks and I'll come up afterwards in a jeep. That's it, you know. But at that, at that's, you know, when you're 18, take the hill. Ooh, Rob, we're taking the hill because you're invincible. Right. You know, you're 18. You're invincible. I mean, you're a football player. You can you can bench press 350 pounds. You're tough as nails. Once you start fooling with the chemistry of your brain, your brain isn't fully developed till 26 years of age. Once you start playing with the chemistry of your brain, it takes a long time to get it back. So don't even start because when you start, because what, what do you do? You alter the chemistry of your brain. That's how you get high. But it's, you remember when you say that, remember Len Bias, I think it was 84, number one draft pick, Boston Celtics, the next day, he's dead. And yeah. I don't think he had a drug problem. He just happened to take it. But that's how quickly things can end. Yes, yes. And you just wonder, I, again, I think for me, I, I obviously like to talk to the kids, but like you said, talk to the families. Talk to yes. everybody. Everybody. And I, that's kind of my mission. I mean, I, like I said, I don't do it for – see, we were talking about – you were talking earlier about, about, the, about the marijuana, legal marijuana. To me, and I, I'm probably going to get arrested for saying something like this, but – Government has become legal organized crime. Oh, you a know? thousand percent. I mean, it, it, when you when you look at like this legal marijuana business now, and, and, all, and all these people that go, we need to legalize all drugs. I mean, are you that stupid? Number one, you legalize it, you get people hooked. But number two, there's going to be a black market. It doesn't still, matter. It doesn't matter. Guns they still around. smuggle cigarettes. Yes. I'm yes. Gonna tell you what, in fact, I'm going to tell you a little, little true story. People don't know this. It's actually more profitable to smuggle cigarettes than drugs in some states because of the taxes on the cigarettes. Yeah. That's yeah. why they drive up from Carolinas up to New York. They'll load those cigarette or the, the, the flat panel vans full of cigarettes. They'll go to New York. And here's the kicker, though. They'll make a ton of money off that panel, and if they get caught, it's just a misdemeanor fine. So there's no real, there's no. So this thing that people won't try Never and break the law, they're always going to break the law. They're always going to find a way to make a buck, whether you legalize it or not. Guns have been around since the founding of this nation. Do you think there's not a black market for guns? Yeah. I mean, who are we kidding here? Exactly. I mean, and they're, and they're legal. Yes. Yeah. How much do you? I, I probably blame the media a little bit too much for everything, but how much do you blame the media? Uh, it's it's the media. It's the current culture. I mean, it's Hollywood glamorizing the stupidity. Um, it, it's it's. Uh, I think it, it's the, it's the degradation of the family. Uh, it, that's, well, I think a that's a big, big with it. Big key that's a big right thing there. to do with it. You know, you know, this whole thing. Men are irrelevant. 
I remember back in the 70s when I was in college, hey, you don't need fathers. You need just a woman to raise a child. No, you need a husband. You need a, a mother and a father, period. End of discussion. There's a reason for that. And the irony is you talk to young girls right now, and they're tell, they'll tell you, because i got a daughter, they'll tell you they're having a hard time finding a good man now. Yeah, because men... Because we've because we basically emasculated so, them. Exactly. They've been so beaten down for the last 30 years, and they go, where's the good men? Because they beat them down. I mean, this, you, get, you, you reap what you sow. Exactly, exactly. I train my sons to be men, and they're men. Yeah, they're responsible. They, they do what they have to do. They, they're, they're working. They have responsible jobs. They're good men. My one son works for Duquesne Light. He repairs vehicles, has, does a great job. My other son's an electrician. My other son's a captain in the Marine Corps. I mean, these are all responsible young men. And that's, that's what I need. That's, that's what we need to do. I mean, you, you love your kids. And I became better. I became best friends with my kids after they're older. Right. I was their dad when they were younger. I'm still their dad now. But still, I mean, we're yeah, friends There's now. a big difference when they're 14 and when they're yeah. 24. And that's yeah. right. And I think a lot of these parents don't understand it, that you, you nailed it. It's I want to be their friend. Because you know what? This is the babies lazy, having babies. Steve. Right. Well, a lot I, but, of them get lazy. They sure. don't want to deal with it. They push it to the side. And to well, me, they don't want calm. They don't want to hurt their little baby's feelings. Well, again, no kid was loved more than me. Trust me when I tell you that. My parents adored me. But, but again, I'll say it again. If I got out of the lane just a little bit, both yeah. my parents. Yeah. It was over for me, and I never wanted to disappoint my parents. But damn it, if I sometimes say, geez, oh, man, all I did was this. I never heard the end of it, you know, and, and I'm glad that they were that way. As a matter of fact, you know, I know Steve always lets me in the show saying thank my parents. Today's 20 years that my dad passed away, and I think of him constantly, my mom constantly. Yeah. I talk about them constantly. And, and like I said, they adored me, but damn it, if I did the smallest thing, and that's what parents have to do. Yeah. I, I know one person— who said, well, I'm afraid to talk to my daughter about the rights and wrongs. I told my daughter flat out, okay, I was very specific. I, I, I'm very honest with her. I point things out to her. I say, see how that girl's getting treated over there? That ain't happening to you. I'll bust everything in this effing house if, if that's something. Now, somebody would say to me, well, that's not the way you talk to my That's why I talk to my daughter. My daughter graduated from Pitt. She's going to graduate from Duquesne. She, she has several jobs. She makes a good buck. She's a wonderful girl. Hey, anything can happen in life, but it ain't going to be because she's an idiot. I, I, I tell you that right off the bat. And everybody else, I, again, well, I don't want to tell them. Like this one person told me, oh, you just want her to be a, a clone to Claudio. Well, Claudio didn't do, didn't do too damn bad. Okay, so yeah, I want her to be a clone. And this is somebody who, who left her family. Uh, I won't get into all that. And you're telling me? That's like me telling uh, Shaquille O'Neal how to be a center. What the hell do I know about being a center? You know what I'm trying to say? So, but I, I, I give you a ton of credit for going out there and doing something about it. You're not just, you know, you're, you're hurt. I can tell you're a good man. I told you that from the beginning, but you're actually trying to help people so they don't go through the hell that you went through. No, I tell you, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I don't do this for anything other than to help people not have to go through this. It's a, it's a horrible experience to find your, your oldest son dead or any of your children, but you know, oldest boy in an Italian family and he's dead. And, and it's just like you sit there and you say, God, why? You know. And, and can I interrupt you real quick? Your yeah. son was very successful. Oh, he was it isn't like kid. he was. He he wasn't a good student. He wasn't mm -hmm. a good kid. He was. He looked like hell. Your son had all the check marks of going in the right lane, and it's still things went the right. way they did. It does not discriminate. Drugs and when you do not told discriminate. Me over the phone the other day, which is unbelievable. Think about that. That the the date on a penny, the date on a penny, that much. Can kill you. Yeah, that's why, why when they go into these drug chance? scenes, they got to wear something called Suburnia yes. gear. They got to wear. Steve, why would you take that damn chance? Yeah. The, the problem is a lot of times too they don't know. 
I mean, like I said, they mixed that stuff. They, they originally, you know, because I used to work a lot of these cases when I was supporting Ellie. And a lot of times it's just mixed in there or it's improperly mixed. You know, now they're, they're, they were asking for, but now it's, it's one of these, to your point, yesterday's news, it's still out there, but they just, they just come up with something new and something yep. new and something new. And you're still, and you haven't won the old battles. And I do think part of the problem though, is there are people that think they go back to the eighties war on drugs and they say, well, we couldn't beat it back then. Well, actually they were actually making a dent. Now, it wasn't perfect, but it certainly well, wasn't Nancy where... Reagan, uh, yeah, the whole just, just saying no. no. They made a joke about it, but... But you know. know what? But it was actually showing that we were actually trending in the right direction. But again, you're not going to get rid of it completely. I get it. The problem now is it is Deadly. so prevalent, and it is one shot and you're dead. Mm-hmm. It's not just marijuana getting high. It is one shot and you are dead. And there's but no, it's a gateway. There's and everywhere no, you go... Well, I mean, even the other you stuff. you can tell right. me, you, you smell that damn stuff everywhere you go. Oh, yeah. It's and so I mean ridiculous. hard. In the morning. But every, and everybody's morning. got a medical card. And these doctors... And again, this is, this is the, the moral... Morning, right. Steve. This is the moral corruption of society because you got doctors that will... Anything for a buck, they'll prescribe it. You know, when I lost a family member, you know, her doctor, whatever she walked in there and wanted he gave it to her and that was the other that's why a lot of these lawsuits were happening these doctors were getting hooked on all these opioids and then what they do that's when they started switching then to the fentanyl and the other stuff it all started with the pharmaceutical you know the prescription stuff kids go in they break their arm in a wrestling game and they're a sophomore in high school next thing you know they're giving them opioids as a painkiller to a kid in high school yeah. How do you know a, a simple aspirin won't help them? They don't. They didn't even try it, and that's why they were all getting sued. The problem now is now you have created addic- addicts, and you create a generational addicts, and it's just so well, prevalent. Like it's so it, easy to buy some it. Some people can do it. Rec- like he can have a drink, and he's fine. Some people have one, then they want three. Right. Like you just said, the opium or whatever. And I don't even know what the hell it is. M- maybe us, we'd be fine, but to somebody else. You know, well, I had a doctor tell me one time, and we're, we're getting short on time, but I did have a doctor tell me one time, and he said, you know, one of the, he said, I saw the writing on the wall for all this. Whenever we started having pain clinics where you could go in there and say, I hurt, and they weren't just giving you aspirin. They were giving you opioids, so prescription strength painkillers. Now, like every drug, when you take a drug, your body will build up a tolerance to it, and that's why I need a little bit more. To your point, I can take it once, what a great high, take it twice, not so bad, and it goes away. Now i got to crank it up to something else. And believe me, the amateur chemists, or in this case, I am convinced of it, the ones in these countries are professional chemists. They know what they're doing. Trying to kill us. They're absolutely trying to you know, kill it's, us. It's, like, it's, it's not a coincidence. Playing, playing with drugs today is like playing Russian roulette with a bullet in every chamber. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it it's is. A, there's no happy ending. No. I mean, that's the, that's the irony. If you start drugs, what, what do you think is going to happen? That's what I don't understand. It's and like you hear no, it all the time. You right. see it all the time. And wouldn't that be but a, I, a warning? But for different reasons, people start it. Sometimes, it's a, you know, sometimes it is a bad family life, bad home life, and that's their escape. Sometimes it's peer pressure. Sometimes it's just, you know, okay, let, I'm curious. There's a, there's a million reasons. My daughter lost her childhood best friend. Little, I remember five years old. She was in high school, ordered it online. And oh. got it. Went to school. Online? Took it. You can buy drugs Xanax. online, like all kinds we get, of stuff. We get Xanax. And this is what Xanax I. This is the dark stuff that, yeah. that I teach. I actually teach this stuff. The kids order. I think they go on Snapchat and they order like Xanax and they order, you know, well, worse than that. But yeah, it's, it's stuff like that. And they think they're getting a, an oxy or a Xanax, and they're not. They're getting pure fentanyl. You know. And, and I tell kids, if you if you take drugs to run away from a problem, all you've done now is create two problems. You've added. You know. And and it's and it's just it's a, it's a tragedy. 
I've been to a lot of funerals for this exact reason, and I, yeah. I've worked with a lot of a lot of folks that are trying to fight this. It's it's the right fight. Um, yeah. Keep it up. You know, I, I know that I know that um, you know nothing ever fills the hole, but you know you you got to take something positive out of every negative. And if there's one thing that maybe you get out of this, and I always, and I've told a few parents this, I said you know at least you can rest it. Maybe there's one kid that won't die because of something you said to them. Impact. And, and for, for whatever that's worth to you, you know, it's, you say he, he gave his life to save another. Um, so I appreciate you doing this. Appreciate no, you coming I on. It's not an easy talk. And we thank no. Bill Kai and Kevin uh, McGuire for hooking us up. I appreciate it. Thank you guys very right. much. Right. Okay, everybody. Well, we hope that you, I always say enjoy. We hope you got something out of that, that it impacted you in some way. So, and, and, and take care of your kids and the kids who listen to this don't, don't do what we told you not to do. But uh, we appreciate all of you listening. And as always, thank you, Mom and Pop.